0: Thank you, Bobby and worship team and choir. Wonderful to have you back. Good to see some new faces up here as well. I just feel spoiled. I get to preach with the choir being there. It's great. Uh, If you have your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 20. Acts 20. I love the words to that new song Who else could rescue me from my failings? Who else would offer his only son? Who else invites me to call him Father? Only a holy God. That's uh, by City Alight. If you're looking for new worship music, the band is City Alight. They do lots of great stuff. I have a question for you. Uh, How many people went to a wedding this summer? Well, not too many. Summer weddings? Yeah, summer's usually a time when a lot of people get married. Now, of course, there's the bride and the groom, but everyone else at the wedding usually falls into two groups. You either are married already, or you are not yet married. Now, if you're not yet married, it's hopeful that as you go to that wedding ceremony that you'll see something of the beauty of marriage, and that maybe one day you'd think, I would like to get married. And if you're already married and you go to a wedding, it really serves as almost like this renewal of your own vows. It reminds you, what's this really all about? What did I commit to the day that I got married to my spouse? Well, today we're going to talk about another kind of commitment, and it's commitment to the local church. And all of us, I think, are in two groups. We are either members of this church or another local church, or we're not yet members of a local church. And my hope is that the same kind of thing that would happen at a wedding ceremony would happen today. If you're not a member of a local church, that you would see something of the beauty of committing yourself to a local body of believers and that you would join a local church. I hope it's this church. Uh, I think this is the best church. I might be a little bit biased. But if you are a member already, I hope that this serves as a reminder of how much does God love the local church And am I a good picture of the way that God loves the local church? We're continuing in our series on discipleship. Uh, The first week of the series, Larry talked about really the call of discipleship, which is from Christ to follow him. Last week, Tim talked about essentially what I would say kind of the cost of discipleship. What does it really mean to follow Christ? It's denying yourself in following him. And today I want to talk about the context of discipleship. Where does discipleship happen? It happens in the local church. I was going to title this sermon, Love the Church, but I thought, no, that's not specific enough. We need to love the local church. And if you remember here, you need to love this church. And so we're going to look at three reasons why, essentially. Love it because God loves it. Love the local church the way that God loves it and then love the local church so that others would come to see the love of God. So let's pray and we'll look at this. Father, you love your church. And you don't just love kind of your universal church. You actually love each and every local church. You love this church. And it's not an accident that we're in this church. When you save someone, you don't just save them and let them kind of go on their own. You save them into a local church where you give them gifts so they can use them to serve one another, where they receive gifts from others through the things that you've given them. Your desire has always been that your people would be a community, not isolated individuals, but local churches that love you and that honor you, that you saved. So Father, I pray that you would do a work in us. If we're already members of this church, I pray that you'd stir us to remind us what it really means to be a member of this church. And if there are those that are not yet members of this church or another local church, I pray that you'd convict them and encourage them to join a local church where they can use their gifts, where they can be shepherded, and where they can use their gifts to encourage others as well. Lord, your design is always that you save people into a community. And so I pray that we would love what you love by loving your local church. We pray in Christ's name, amen. All right, Acts chapter 20, first, love the local church because God loves the local church. We're gonna look at a series of metaphors that God uses to describe the church. The first one is gonna be that we're a flock, The second one will be that we're a household or a family, and the last one will be that we're a body. So Acts chapter 20, Paul's talking to some elders of a church in Ephesians. He's telling them that he's not going to see them again, and he's charging them to continue the work that God has entrusted to them. So look what he tells them in verse 28, Acts chapter 20. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I mean, this verse is all about how precious the church is to God. First, he calls the church a flock at the beginning of verse 28. Whenever I think of a flock, there's always one place I have to go, it's John chapter 10. So if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 10. We'll be jumping around a little bit today. This is sort of a topical sermon. Uh, So we'll be kind of going to a few different places. But John chapter 10, we're his flock. Christ is our shepherd. Verse 7, John 10. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But why did Christ come? I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who doesn't care about the sheep... He sees the wolf coming, what does he do? He leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. Why does he flee? He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. But not so with Christ. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life. The sheep We're his flock That he laid down his life For And it's incredible to think about That in light of who God is And in light of who we are Go to Isaiah chapter 40 There's a few verses of mine that are just favorites So if I can ever find a way to shoehorn them Into a sermon I will Isaiah 40 is one of those places Just to think about How amazing is it that he would rescue us look at this description of god in isaiah 40 verse 12 we kind of sang about it in that song who has measured verse 12 who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand right i mean take all the oceans of the entire world what are they to god he can hold them like this And marked off the heavens with a span. Think of the vastness of the heavens, and to God, it's just I can mark them off, Eh, just like that. He enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance. Verse 15 Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. And are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Like think of all the nations. What are all the nations to God? Take a bucket of water, dump it out, hold it there for a few seconds. And those last couple tiny drops, those are the nations to God. They're like dust on the scales. Like, after you take everything off the scale and there's still that dust, it's not heavy enough to even move the scale. Those are the nations to our God. The coastlands are like fine dust. Verse 17, all the nations... So they were dust, right? Now, in verse 17, all the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. They're nothing. I mean, how great is our God that all the nations are like dust? They're less than nothing. So, what does that make us? If the nations, all the nations, are like dust, what? Do you, how how big is a person who goes who's on one of those nations? Verse eighteen: Who then will you liken God to whom, or what likeness compare with Him? I mean. you You're like the psalmist, like, what is man that you are mindful of him? He's infinite, he's glorious, he dwarfs everything. And now look at verse 11, this is the same God, the same God who's infinite, who's over everything. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those with young. How can that be? He's infinite, he's majestic. How could that God be the same God that will hold us in his arms like little lambs? It's astounding. It's also astounding not only because of who he is, but because of who we are. We're not cute little sheep, right? I mean, Kevin and I went to Safeway this week and we saw this little Bichon Frise, right? Have you seen those little dogs, those little white fluffy dogs? It's like, I don't even like those dogs, but it's like, that is the cutest dog I have ever seen. It looked like a cloud with legs. It was just like floating along. And that's sometimes how we think of it. Like, oh, of course God loves us. We're the cute little Bichon Frises. We're so lovable. We're so cut. How could he not love us? But that's not us. All we like sheep have done what? We've gone astray. We didn't want him. We charted a course for our own life. He wanted to hold us in his arms. We're like, forget that. And yet he rescues us and calls us his flock. How precious is the church to God? Go back to Acts chapter 20 so we see a bit of how much he loves the church in the fact that he calls us his flock but then look at the end of verse 28 the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with what his own blood he bled for us he purchased us and the cost to purchase us was his blood. Isaiah 53, we all like sheep have gone astray, we've each turned to our own way, but the Lord laid on him all the punishment that we deserved. He purchased us with his blood. How precious. How much does God love his church? And the incredible thing is in this context he's not just talking about he, really, he loves like every believer he loves the universal church every single believer that's true but in this context who's he talking to? Paul's talking to the elders of one church right? This is the Ephesian elders of this one church in Ephesus and he says pay attention to the flock is he calling those elders to watch out for every believer on the face of the earth? No No He's saying, watch out for the flock that God has entrusted to you. When he says the church of God, does he mean every believer on the face of the earth? No. He means the church of God that's in Ephesus. Look out for that church because that's the church, along with every other church, but that church is the one that he purchased with his blood. So it's not just how much does God love the church, the big universal church, but how much does he love each and every individual church? How much does he love this church? He purchased this church with his blood. He purchased Valley Bible Church with his blood. And if that's how much he loves this church, the question for us is, How much do we love this church? Not just believers in general, do I love believers? No, like, how much do I love this group of believers that God has rescued and purchased with His own blood? Do you love this local assembly like God loves this local assembly? he didn't just purchase us as individuals and just say, kind of go, come and go as you please, you know, go there, go there, whatever, go ahead. No, when he purchased us, he purchased us into a family of believers, a local family of believers. You've been purchased into a community. And so do you love this church like he loves this church? Now you might say, well, oh yeah, I see my friends, we have a good time, I love this church. But no, 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 Do you love every person In this church Now think of the person in this church Who drives you crazy Right that just really gets under your skin I mean come on let's be honest Everybody has those people in their lives Except for me because I'm beyond that I'm holier than all that of course But now think about this thought That God purchased you And that person With his blood And not only that That the son went to the cross and poured out his blood to save you and that person and bring you into one family. And he did it out of love. He knows what's best for his children. He knows what's best for his flock. So he poured out his blood to rescue you and that person who drives you crazy. And it's not an accident that you're in the same church. So do you love this church the way that God loves this church? We're his precious flock. Let's look at another metaphor, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. Here we're the household of God. Ephesians 2 verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Why did he do that? So that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one through what? The cross thereby killing the hostility again how much does god love the church he brought us near by the blood of christ he reconciled us through the cross and what's so unique about the church verse 19 so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of god there's a lot going on there, but what's Paul saying? Paul is saying that one of the things that God wanted to do, intentionally did, when he established his church, was he took two groups of people, the Jews and the Gentiles, that wanted nothing to do with each other, and he brought them into one family. He wanted them to be unified, that the blood of Christ was going to break down every dividing wall that exists between humanity on an earthly level, and he was going to abolish them all and bring together one people in one body. And I don't know if you've experienced this. I'm sure you have. But as you go and visit other churches, sometimes you see things like, oh, well, there's the black church. There's the white church. Oh, there's an Asian church over here. And my thought is like, why? Why? It's like the whole point, right? Who, we're going to be worshiping the lamb who was slain in Revelation 5 for all eternity. Who's going to be worshiping him? People from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. So why would we separate that out on earth when it's not going to be how it is in heaven? I mean, Martin Luther King said, one of the shameful tragedies of our nation is that 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America. And it makes no sense. Because the whole point of God rescuing us through the cross was to bring us together into one body. When we're worshiping in eternity, it's not going to be like the black people are here, the white people are here, the Asian people are here, and we don't want to mix those together. No, one body. And that's why I love this church, because of the diversity of this body. It's unlike any other church I've ever seen. And it's wonderful. I tell people, it's spoiled me, you know, or it's ruined me. It's like I would never want to go to another church, so I guess I'm going to just stay here forever. (laughs) But we also have to make sure that we preserve the unity in the body. Not just a unity that we're all in the same building at the same time, but a unity where we really treat each other like family, and we're committed to each other. Especially those who are different from us. Whether it's a different past, a different color, a different social status, whatever it is, that we're one family, we're one body. And so, positively, let's do that by appreciating each other, always getting to know new people, especially people that don't look like you, so that we'd be a good reflection of what's going to happen in heaven. But then, negatively, we preserve the unity by not allowing a root of bitterness to come up between you and any other believer in this church. That when conflict happens, you resolve it. You don't brush it under the rug. You don't pretend it's not there. You don't just distance yourself from that person and never talk to them anymore. No, you preserve the unity by reconciling. We are one body, one family, one household. The last metaphor that we'll look at is the body. Turn to First Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians 12, "We are one body." Look at verse four. It says, "There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord." There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Jump down to verse 12, he gives this metaphor. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Here's the unity again. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If we were all a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many body parts, yet one body. This is God's design for the church. When he was saving you, right, he was picking out these different people... And he, was gonna, and he gives each one of us a gift, and then he intentionally brings us all together so that we would be dependent on one another. Now, that's not a popular American message because we all prefer to be independent, right? Don't tread on me. I'm gonna do my thing. Like, yeah, I'm happy. It's me and Jesus, and I'm just gonna go live my Christian life. And God says, no. It doesn't work that way. You were rescued into a body, we're to join together, commit to one another because we need you and you need us. And that's the way that God designed it, interdependent. You know, we're like Voltron. I don't know if, how many people watched that cartoon when they were little, but you had all these different robot, cat robots, I think they were. And uh, when they all came together, they would form this you know, amazing super robot called Voltron, right? And that's the church. You know, we're all these individual parts all doing a different thing, but when we come together, something happens that would never happen if we were all separate. That's God's design for not only the big church, that's God's design for this church. And so do you love God's design for this church? Do you deal with those temptations where you might feel like, oh, I don't need anybody else. I'm fine. Yeah, I'll, I'll go, I'll hear a message every now and then, but then I'll go do my own thing or maybe on the opposite side of the spectrum you feel like oh well there's no place for me i don't have anything that the church that would benefit the church both of those are wrong you do every single person has a gift given by god he chose to give you a particular gift for you to be a blessing and for the church to be a blessing to you i mean are you seeing the beauty of the local church a wayward people enslaved to sin In awaiting execution, now redeemed by the blood of Christ on the cross and brought into one family from all different walks of life to serve each other and to meet one another's needs so that Christ is glorified. There's an old hymn. Tim, I think, probably knows this. Maybe some of you know this. The church is one foundation. The first verse says this, The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. That's how much Christ loves this church. Do you love this church? Love this church because God loves this church. Now, secondly, love this church the way that God loves this church. How does God love us? Well, he is committed to us, and he's invested in us, even when we're imperfect. Think about Revelation 2 and 3. You don't have to turn there. But Revelation 2 and 3, Christ walks among the lampstands. Each of the lampstands there is a church. And so Christ knows every single church. He walks among us. And he knows the condition of this church. Right? He tells some churches, oh, you're doing this well, but here you're not doing that super well. So what do you need to do? You need to repent and come back to me. And he does that for every single church. He knows his church. He's committed to his church. He's invested in his church. He didn't just save us and be like, I hope you're okay. I'll see you in heaven. No, he's among us, even right now, shepherding us, caring for us. He knows what we need. And he's gonna shepherd us. He's committed to us. Turn to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians four, verse four. Think of all the, here again, the unity. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, That belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of us all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. So, what's the picture? The picture here is that Christ came, he conquered through his cross. And then he ascends back to the father and he starts giving gifts to his church distributing gifts to his church look what he says in verse 11 he gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the shepherds and teachers why did he give them to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of christ So notice again, Jesus' work on the cross was not just to get you into heaven. Jesus' work on the cross was to save you and give you to a local church as a gift so that his body might be built up. I don't know that we think of the cross that way. Usually we just think of it so individually, like he did it to save me, and that's true. But he also did it so that he could build up his church. This church, not just big picture church, but this church, the local church. He's invested in us. He gave his blood for us. How committed is he? Hebrews 13, 5 says, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, is he committed to us because we're so perfect? Will his commitment to us end if we fail in some way? No, 1 John 1.9 says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's committed and invested, not because we're perfect. He's committed and invested even though we're not perfect. And he's asking us to do the same thing. Don't commit to this church because you think it's the perfect church. Don't commit to it because you think it's everything that you want it to be. No, we commit to it even though we know it's not perfect. And we know it's not everything that God would want it to be. We commit to it anyway. There's 59 one another's in the Bible. Accept one another, encourage one another, be kind-hearted, forgiving one another, show preference to one another, serve one another, stimulate one another to love in good deeds. This is the, that's the life of the church. We can't obey those commands unless we're part of a local church. Thirteen of the one-anothers are love one another. John 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And he says, if I, your Lord and teacher, have done this for you, how much more should you do this to one another? I have given you an example so that you would follow in my steps. That's what we're supposed to do. He washes their feet, not just to wash their feet, but to establish an example. Like this is how the body of Christ cares for each other. We wash each other's feet. Now, of course, the opposite then is also true. Go to 1 John chapter 4. If we're not loving each other, what does that say? 1 John 4. 1 John 4, verse 19. John does not beat around the bush. He says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, anyone, if any person says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love god whom he has not seen and this commandment we have from him whoever loves god must also love his brother and that that's that's too clear it's like too that's scarily clear what john's saying if you say anybody if you say i love god but i hate this guy you are a liar you don't understand his love You simply cannot fulfill Christ's design for your life unless you're willing to love every person that he brings into his church. And I think there's an important point here. You know, the church is not just where discipleship happens. The church is how discipleship happens, right? You commit yourself to love people that you would have otherwise never chosen to love. And that's how discipleship happens. What is discipleship? That you become more like Christ. How do you become more like Christ? I do miracles, I do all these amazing cool things. It's like, no, you love people that don't deserve it. That's how you become more like Christ. You will not really grow as a follower of Christ until you commit to love his church. You might grow in knowledge, you might grow in personal disciplines, but you won't grow in Christ-like character unless you commit to love imperfect people. How could you? Right, Ron and I have this saying sometimes, you know, we'll say like, we never knew how selfish we were until we got married. And then we say, and we really didn't know how selfish we were until we had kids. What's the point? The point is, it's like, I can say all day that, like, oh, I'm a really patient, loving, forgiving person as long as I don't have to be patient or forgive or love anybody else, right? It's, no, when you've committed to someone, and I'm gonna love this person not on the basis of how they treat me, I'm gonna love them on the basis of how God treats me. When you do that, that's when growth happens. That's when discipleship happens. How do you grow in unconditional love? by committing to people who don't meet the conditions. It's the only way. I mean, think about it. How do you grow in forgiving others? You be around people that sin against you. How do you grow in patience? By being around people that bring out your impatience. How do you grow in peacemaking? By being around people that cause conflict. It's like there's no other way to do it, right? This is how God grows his church to become more like him. You commit to love people that don't deserve it. So we love people because, we love his church because he loves his church, and we love his church the way that he loves his church, by committing to them and investing in them, not on the basis of what they deserve. Lastly, love the local church so that God's love will spread to others. Another verse in John chapter 13 is this. By this, the world will know that you're my disciples. By what? By the love that you have for one another, right? Not just by love in general, but love in particular to one another. That's how the world is going to know that you're my disciples. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. I love this verse Ephesians 3. Paul's talking about his ministry here. And he's kind of, again, ruminating on what is it that God's doing through the church. Look at verse 8. To me, again, Paul's never gotten over this, to me, like, who am I? To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, right, the group that I hated, To preach to them, what? The unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So what's the plan? Verse 10. So that through what? Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. When we love each other, when a group of people that have no other reason to love each other other than the fact that God loved us, when we love each other like that, God is displaying his wisdom and his power and his grace and his love. Because every earthly relationship has walls. It's only Christ that has disarmed all those walls, torn down all those walls so that people can actually love each other. And it displays the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is displayed through us to the world. Other people are going to get to see the wisdom of God through how we love each other and care for each other. One last verse, I promise. Matthew chapter 16. I think I promise. Yeah, I think so. Matthew 16. Matthew 16. Again, thinking about that God intends for the church to spread the love of God in the world. Verse 13, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, Saying, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now listen to this. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, which I think is his confession that Jesus is the Christ, on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I mean, think about that, that the church, Jesus says the church is an unstoppable force, right? What are the gates, the gates of hell, gates? Do you put a gate in your house? For what reason? To keep people out. And Jesus is saying, hell's gonna try to keep you out of all these sort of strongholds that are around the world. And what does Jesus say? The gates of hell will not prevail against my church. The church, my church, is an unstoppable force. Now notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say individual Christians are an unstoppable force. If you're an individual rogue Christian, it's like, you're easy prey. What does he say? My church that's gathered and committed, and they love me, and they love the mission that I'm on, That church is an unstoppable force. This church is only going to be as strong as its members are committed to one another and to Christ's mission. And this church is only going to be as fruitful as it is committed to one another and to Christ's mission. That's his design for the church. That's how important the local church is to Christ. Christopher Ash. An author says this. The ordinary local church is a mixed and motley gathering of strange men and women. The ordinary local church, with all its imperfections, weaknesses, oddities, and problems, has within it the seeds of the spiritual and relational blueprint of a broken world remade. That's what God's doing through his church. He's giving people a glimpse. In this fallen, broken, hopeless world, he gives them a glimpse through his church of this is what life could look like. People that love each other. People that forgive each other. People that listen to each other. People that encourage each other. That they resolve differences. And they keep doing it over and over and over again. That's the church. I hope you're beginning to see the beauty of his church. Now, there are challenges to loving the church. Number one challenge to loving the church, ourselves, our own hearts. Loving the church involves commitment, and we don't like commitment. Joni Mitchell once sang, we don't need no paper from the city hall to remain tried and true. Right? We think, we don't, I don't need a commitment. I'll just love the church. I don't need to sign on the dotted line. I don't need to go to a class. No, sometimes that's exactly what you need to do. You need to sign on the dotted line. I mean, Larry talked about vows. It's like you make a vow, like, I'm going to love this church, not because it's perfect, not because no one's going to hurt my feelings, but because you're committed, Lord, to the local church. I want to be committed to the local church. We tend to be consumers, right? It's like, if you don't give it to me the way that I want it, when I want it, then I'm just going to go somewhere else that will. And God's saying no. You commit to a church you be in that church you love that church you use your gifts because i love that church and i bought it with my blood another reason we don't like the local church is because we don't like accountability people are going to try to get in my life right if i sin they're going to try to like talk to me about it if i try to leave they're going to come get me and my question to you if you have those thoughts is why wouldn't you want that don't you, I mean, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I need the church. I need a brother or a sister to come to me and tell me you're going the wrong way. Like, you should invite that into your life. You should, you should sign up for that. I, if, I, if I can find a group of people that's gonna hold me accountable and it's gonna come after me if I sin, sign me up. I want that. But we don't always like accountability something else we don't like to serve i'd rather be served than to serve and yet the church involves service to one another another thing we really don't like is submission but hebrews thirteen seventeen says obey your leaders and submit to them for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account let them do this with joy not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you yeah but the leaders they don't always do what i like they don't always say things I like. They don't always make decisions that I like. It's like, "Well, you leave that to the Lord. They're going to give an account to how they shepherded you, but our job is to submit to them. We don't like doing that, so we don't like to sign up to be a church member. Other people might say, well, membership's not really in the Bible. I think we've kind of shown that it is, right? We're a body, we're a flock, we're a family. It's like we're part of a unified body committed to one another. Jesus also tells people in Matthew 18, right? If someone's in sin, what should you do? You should confront them. If they don't listen, what do you do? Tell it to the church. Does that mean tell it to every believer on the face of the earth, right? Just put them on blast, put it on Facebook. No, what does he mean? He means tell it to the local church. So he, he envisions that there's a group of people that, are con- that constitute the local church. Others might say, well, I'm a drifter. It's just me and Jesus, But as we've seen, Jesus didn't pour out his blood just to save you and get you to heaven as an individual. He saved you into a body. That's the pattern in Acts. They believe they're baptized and they're what? Added to the church. On maybe a more serious note, there are some that say I was damaged by the church. I was hurt by the church. And that's true. There is a lot of hurt. There's even severe abuse that happens in church. Physical abuse emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, that's true, and that does happen, but I think that's a, that is a few people that happens to, a lot of us, though, say, I was hurt by the church, and what do we mean? I was offended. They didn't do what I wanted, so I left. Like, that's different, right? It reveals that there's another thing that we don't like to our shame, and it's forgiveness and reconciliation and humility But past hurt, whether it's small or even severe, ultimately is still not an excuse to not commit to a local church. God wants his people in the church. He saved you into the body. And so love the beauty of the local church. Again, beauty, it doesn't mean perfection. It doesn't mean no hurt feelings. It doesn't mean perfect people and perfect leaders. Sometimes people are gonna sin against you. Sometimes you're gonna sin against others. Sometimes leaders are gonna make mistakes. But the beauty of the local church is that we continue to love each other the way that God loves us. Forgiveness, reconciliation, encouragement, loving rebuke and confrontation even at times. Like God, we're committing to love in imperfect people. But in so doing, we're joining God on his mission to bring his love to the ends of the earth. He does it through the church and it's a mission that's guaranteed to succeed. It's a mission that he's gifted you in each individual to be a part of. And so we, may we reflect like Jesus where he says, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. God's will is that you would be a member of a local church, serving one another, loving each other, participating in his mission. So what's the application to this sermon? Well, if you're not a member, we have core values that's starting up this Friday. So what timing, you can sign up Today out in the lobby to sign up for our membership class our core values class and I would encourage you to do that God wants you to be a member of a local church. I hope it's this church On our website. We describe membership this way It says as a member you have a promise Not just from our pastors and leaders, but from all other members that we will love you and care for you We will build you up in jesus Speak the truth to you, encourage you, and welcome you in. We will treat you like the brother or sister you are to us in Christ. And if you become a member, what do you commit to? When you become a member, you promise to care for the church by joining in our mission. To serve and to give and to build up the body in Christ. So I encourage you, sign up today for those membership classes that are starting this Friday. Another way that you can apply this message is join a small group. All of our small groups are starting up in a week or so, and I would say that that's the perfect way. How am I going to live out the 59 one-anothers in Scripture? Get in a small group. Be around people that you can encourage, that you can pray for, that you can meet each other's needs. We literally have small groups every day of the week, uh, so there's no excuse. You can find one. There's mixed groups, men's groups, women's groups. We have two young adult groups, So young adults, I'd encourage you to go. Sunday nights, every other Sunday night, there's a group on the spiritual disciplines. And every Wednesday night, there's a study on the Gospel of John for young adults. I'd encourage you to go. We have that new Sunday school class starting up on September 17th, and I'd encourage you to attend that as well. These are all ways that we can love each other, serve together, learn together, and fulfill what Christ has called us to do. Let's pray. Father, we are so privileged to be your people. And I hope that we see that privilege not just that we're looking forward to eternity with you in heaven as an individual, though that's a great blessing, but I hope we see the privilege of you saving us into this local body, or maybe another local body. That we get the privilege of just trying to be the smallest example of the kind of love that you've shown us that we commit to one another. We invest in one another. We forgive each other. We encourage each other. And that it's our delight that we would see it as a privilege to do that. Father, if there are those here that are not members of this church or another church, I pray that you would work in their hearts through your spirit and cause them to want to join a good church. I pray that they join this church. And for those that are members, I pray that you would stir in us again just that desire to want to live this out that we'd sign up for small groups, that we'd be at Sunday school, that we would just take advantage of every opportunity we have to be together as your people, to hear from you and your word, and then to be sent out into the various different places in our lives to bring your love to the ends of the earth. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for Valley Bible Church. Thank you for purchasing us with your blood. Thank you for the diversity of this body. That you really have brought people from every walk of life that so many of those dividing walls have been torn down in this place and it's a beautiful thing. Help us preserve that unity and help this church to grow. Not for our sake, not to us, but for yours. Continue to do great things through us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.